Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another evening of The Den. This is your host, Isaac Murden, a.k.a. The Finisher. I just want to welcome you, everybody, to The Den this morning, this afternoon. I am so sorry for that. I have a very special guest, Miss Curly Severson, acupuncturist, herbalist. Good afternoon. How are you doing? How are you doing today? Isaac, thank you so much for having me on today. I am doing amazing. Thank you. So tell out, tell out, um, our listeners, what exactly do you do? What exactly I do is I treat environmental illness using acupuncture and herbal medicine and environmental illness typically from exposure to water-damaged buildings which is my patient population. I've observed over the years and through my research that these patients tend to have a lot of mental health issues as a symptom of an exposure. And the exposure isn't well recognized currently by Western medicine. So many of these people are misdiagnosed and not only are they misdiagnosed, when the root cause of their illness is is ignored, it progresses in severity. And I've seen mold injury actually ruin relationships, destroy families, um, because it changes people's personalities in a way that can make them more irritable, more aggressive. And in this way, it's really a very sneaky stealth destroyer of families. And people usually don't even know what hit them, sadly. So it sounds like mold is like a silent killer almost. You know, it, it really is because the ways that it affects the body, see, it's, it seems that mold has evolved to affect the body in ways that it didn't a few hundred years ago. So we have not had this oral folklore handed down from us, from our parents who maybe lived in a leaking building, or even though mold is referenced in the Bible, our, our, church, our church support members are not well-versed in this. Our medical teams are not aware of this. So it seems that the behavior of mold might be becoming more dangerous mixed with current pollution, and we're seeing a new effect happen. And that might be why uh, medical professionals are not able to identify what they're seeing, but it's causing a big social burden on on people suffering from it. So per our post-conversation, how did you come or get into um, becoming an herbalist or acupuncturist? How did that come about for you? Yeah, I was waitressing as a single mom and my son was a year old and I realized my current schedule was all nights and weekends and I knew I had to do something different for a career in my future because I didn't want my son to not have me home at night on nights and weekends once he was of school age because I wouldn't see him at all. And you know, knowing me, I, I'm not really good with having an, a boss. So I'm like, okay, I need a new job by the time he's five. I need to not have a boss because I don't take orders from nobody. <laughs> uh, and so what it, what happened is I did some reflecting to see like, what do I need to do to make my life 
the shape it needs to be in for when my son turns five and is of school age. And I had a flashback to a treatment I had as a younger kid. I had acupuncture and and I just walked around that entire day telling everyone how relaxed I was after. And I thought, you know what? This is a way that I can make a real difference, support people's mental health, reduce their anxiety, be my own boss. And it was like I had that realization. I felt it into my bones. I knew that was my next step. And I just put in my job notice, put in my apartment notice, packed us up, and we were on our way. Wow, great story. Are there any misconceptions when it comes to when you tell people that you are herbalist? Um, are there any misconceptions out there about herbalists? There are so many misconceptions about herbal medicine. And thank you so much for asking that because I see a lot of licensed healthcare providers that might be functional medicine doctors or holistic doctors, and they're using herbal medicine in a way that's not correct. A lot of people who use herbal medicine will will just Google a symptom and say, what herbs can I take for my liver? And maybe they'll find milk thistle in a Google search. So they'll go ahead and try that. You know, I'm guilty for that. You know that, right? We all are. (laughs) We're all guilty of this. And it's like, and we're trained also through the medical establishment to pair a symptom with a product. And so it's, it's inbred into our, into our thinking. And And a trained herbalist who practices under an herbal license is going to be a little bit different. Or even even if they're not licensed and say they're a Native American herbalist, but they're practicing on the tradition of the folklore of their medicine system. So proper medicine is herbal medicine would be used when there's a diagnostic system that tells you when a product is appropriate and not appropriate. Okay. And without that theory of of how to use herbal medicine they're often used inappropriately you know um it's it's funny that you you know we're talking about herbal medicines and a lot of the times like i'm i'm guilty of it really all my life you walk into the health food stores and um you're seeing all these different products and they have five to six to eight ten to 10 different products for one ailment. Right. And, and at some point, you're just standing, you're just looking in the aisles, and you're just as confused as you were before you even walked in. Yeah. You know, and, I, and I've had that personal experience. So I know you talk, you know, you talk about herbs and acupuncture. How does that translate um, into assisting individuals with mental health? That's such a great question. So acupuncture helps regulate the body's electrical system. And so any environmental toxin that affects the body's neurological system, um, any toxin that migrates into the tissue and causes oxidative stress, these things can actually be the causes of depression or anxiety. So acupuncture works to help regulate the nervous system. And so it's a really great calming support therapeutic treatment if you're suffering from depression or anxiety, but it is important not to rule out the environmental causes. Okay. So acupuncture works more on like the neurological system, the blood electricity of the body, the electrical system of the body, regulating that. And it can also have direct impact on organs. 
But herbal medicine is where we target a very specific or organ disharmony. So, for example, women who suffer from monthly moodiness from PMS, their livers might not be filtering out perfectly. So you do an assessment of what all their symptoms are and if they if they fit into a specific system of maybe liver and spleen disharmony according to Chinese medicine diagnostics, then that formula for liver and spleen disharmony might be an appropriate option. Okay. And so it physically changes how the organs are functioning, which then helps the body feel better. Okay, so there, there's really um, a specific um, diagnostic system that you follow then. There is for herbal medicine, and it doesn't rely on any testing. It's evaluating the symptoms of the body and getting a really full picture of their health history, um, their exposure history, and sometimes actually looking at the tongue can give you a lot of clues about what's going on internally with the human body. So when when you're making that diagnostic um, and your clients are having multiple multiple um, issues or multiple symptoms um, that can be relative to, let's say, anxiety or mood change or depression. How do you make a concrete decision on which area to target? Based on their symptom presentation. Okay. So I might have a clue that the heart is more involved if they're always having anxiety or panic attacks or feeling their heart racing. I might have a clue that the liver is more involved if they have frequent headaches or their face or their eyes get red often. So there are very specific clues in relation to the organs. And when you listen to the patient, you can you can get an idea of what systems are all affected to, to create a comprehensive plan for them. Wow. Um, I want to talk to you a little about um, cleansing and detoxing, um, how really herbs um, uh, play a major part in how we detox. And as you know, every book, every magazine, every health store, every grocery store, every CVS, every pharmacy, you walk in and they have 250 different pills or medications or mm-hmm. for detoxing. Mm-hmm. So when an individual is really seriously about, let's say, monthly or weekly detoxing, mm-hmm. what would you suggest herbally for the for the entire body for individuals? Can I also suggest free options? Yes. And free options. Yes. OK, so free options. My favorite methods of detox are actually all free. And so. If you are pooping, peeing, sweating, and breathing, you are detoxing. Now, if detox is a health concern and you want to detox intentionally, this is what I would say. Go outside for a minimum of an hour a day and get some fresh air. While you're outside, do a breathwork exercise. This is essentially like cleaning the exhaust pipe so that pollution isn't coming out of the exhaust pipe. The more fresh air you inhale, the more your immune system is feels safe to dump toxins to just excrete them on their own. Our urine and our bowel movement systems are in place to 
eliminate toxins from our body. And sweating is such an amazing way to eliminate toxins. You can go into a sauna, you can just sit outside, you could do a little workout outside. So sweating, breath work, and then proper elimination pathways are all free ways to detox. Now, if your body, um, if your systems aren't eliminating properly because there's a dysfunction there, that's when you would look at soliciting the help of an herbal intervention because herbs herbs can do things that the body needs help doing on its own. So if for some reason the body can't do some of these things on its own, you're constipated, you're not sweating, yes. you're having trouble taking a deep breath. That's when you would look at herbal medicine for that specific pattern to help maybe flush out mucus from the kidneys so you can urinate more often. Maybe help help get the bowels going so that so that you are eliminating things like that. That's great. You know, one one of the issues I, I've I've had in the past, and and I work really hard on really kind of understanding what I can eat and when I can eat it and how I can eat it is bloating. Like that's a really really big enemy of mine. So, what would you suggest to our audience for individuals that? that experience um bloating regularly so the first thing that i would that i would screen you for is any potential or current or past exposure to a water damage building because what happens in long-term water damage spaces is the body's ability to do protein synthesis stops which means the body can't create digestive enzymes, which means bloating is going to be a big factor. So if we can rule out any any exposure environmentally that needs to first be addressed, um, because it would be negligent to just throw an herbal prescription at somebody who needs, you know, their environment honestly looked at too. So screen for environment and let them know how and if that could be a factor in what what if anything can be done about it or what can be done about it. And then if you can exclude that as a factor and it really seems like it's just digestive, um, you might want to have a talk about, you know, is it possible somebody was exposed to parasites? Um, is it possible this is just an organ disharmony with um, issues with the spleen when the spleen's not happy? We're not fully digesting our food and then this can cause bloating so instead of just saying bloating take ginger tea although you know boiling a fresh cup of ginger tea from the ginger at your grocery store might help you reduce bloating it also there also might be more factors that somebody would need to look at and help you dissect and, and kind of get a full picture to support you the best way they can wow you know um throughout whole conversation you know you talk a lot about environmental factors and you know we live in a world today that every place that you know we come in contact can have some environmental factors that can lead to um different um medical ailments that may be the cause or a slight cause to many different ailments that Americans like myself face daily, weekly, or monthly. And, you know, I want to get back to, you know, mold has been around 
for hundreds of years but it seems like in the last 20 20 years it's really been prevalent is do you do you have uh, an explanation for that or is that is it that we're just starting to really recognize um the dangers of mold i don't think i think that okay this is such a great question and this is really why my organization i have a nonprofit called exposing mold this is really the heart of why we formed our organization because we have this same question is mold behaving differently than it used to a lot of people would say no mold is in the bible in biblical times if you couldn't get rid of mold you were tearing down the houses and removing the stones from the village but if Mold was always as virulent as it is currently. Why are our church leaders not at the absolute forefront of teaching and educating about mold illness? Because this would have been orally shared and preserved through the history. If our grandparents were dealing with the type of mold that was paralyzing people or causing sudden infant death syndrome a hundred years ago and they could point to a wall growing mold and say like we can now we can point to this wall and say i don't feel good when i'm by this wall and it's water damaged if that was happening a hundred or two hundred years ago consistently like it's happening consistently now why is there no oral history tradition folklore passed down through the generations like with other things i think that this makes a great argument and we have evidence of this modern pollution might be helping mold evolve to produce toxins that we were not seeing mold emit hundreds of years ago and the previous you know ways to just treat mold like throw bleach on it those are antiquity antiquity and those are out of date. However you say that word, it's out of date. <laughs> Null and void. Bleach on mold does not work anymore. But that is the advice that we're given when we're told yes. that we have, you know, if, oh, my basement leaked, oh, just throw some some bleach over that. You know, why, if, if mold always could not be treated with bleach because it would make people more sick, then why would that be handed down as an oral recommendation? Well, that's all we know. That's That's what we've been taught. Right. That's what we hear. You know, your bleach, your 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 ammonia water mixtures, your bleach, um, your bleach mixture. So if that's all we know, and by some account, if we feel like that works, if it goes away for a little while and it comes back in our mind, we feel like you know what that works. Maybe I need to do a little more of this or a little more of that. So a lot of it is just about education, us being education educated about the seriousness of 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 mold period and that's not happening you know it's not happening and we have both patients and doctors fighting us on this doctors will fight us and they'll say mold doesn't do that it's not in the research well if mold is doing something different than it hadn't done before because it's evolving as an organism then we're not going to see that in past research And then if you try to bring it up on the patient side, they're like, well, my doctors are looking into it and my health team, A, B, and C, they understand. And it's like, no, I think that there's some things that aren't understood here. And if we pretend we know everything about it, we can't even have a conversation about it. Exactly. Exactly. How does acupuncture and mental health go hand in hand? Because that's a big one. 
Yeah, acupuncture really sedates and calms the central nervous system. And so it can really reduce oxidative stress. And that's a big disease mechanism for depression. And just calming the body's electrical system really takes the edge off um, with anxiety and mental health symptoms. That was one of the biggest things that I did for my mental health was regular acupuncture. Is acupuncture for everybody? Kids probably aren't going to like getting needles. And so I would say don't push your kids into getting acupuncture. Some kids are interested and they want to do it and they think it looks cool if their parents are doing it. Um, And some kids are scared of needles. And if you're terrorizing your kid with a treatment, is it really helpful? (laughs) No, it isn't. (laughs) So in those cases, I would say, you know, if you want to still apply acupuncture techniques maybe do acupressure where you're just massaging the acupuncture point on a child gently or they even have um, laser pens where you can use a little laser light to stimulate a point and that's a non-invasive method for kids but for everyone else there there are no uh, contraindications for acupuncture that says x y and z it's not safe it's safe in in any condition that I can consider right now at the top of my head. This has been a very informative and enlightening conversation, Carrie. Once again, it was a pleasure talking to you today. How can our guests get in contact with you? We have free podcast information on all podcasting stations at Exposing Mold. Exposing Mold on all social media and Exposing Mold at Gmail if you want to email me some questions. Once again, once again, great conversation, great conversation and everything. I want to thank you once again, once again, once again. And ladies and gentlemen, once again, Miss Carrie Severson. If ain't nobody told you they love you today, Carrie, I love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for such um, informative information today. And we really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me, Isaac. The pleasure was all mine. All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome.